HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, it's our 100th episode. We're breaking the mold to kick off our mini-series on global trade. Vegetable, fruits, grains, and cooking technique pass from one region to another. And that's interesting that that region transformed that ingredient into their own specialties. There was a time where black pepper was a luxury. And we know that because people were willing to invest huge amounts of money to go to the Spice Islands in order to get uh, pepper. <laughs> you know, stuff we take for granted now. You know, you go into a restaurant and it's free. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Mike Schreiber. Welcome to The Shameless Chef, the show that takes us back in time to home kitchens in the 1970s, but still has a lot to teach us today. I developed this show with Michael Davenport in 1977. He was the original host of The Shameless Chef, and he shared his fearless attitudes towards food and encouraged home cooks to have fun and take some risks in the kitchen. I'm excited to keep this legacy alive and share The Shameless Chef with you on Heritage Radio Network. Today I'm talking about seafood. Michael shares some of his favorite dishes that he enjoyed in restaurants and replicated at home. We'll shine a spotlight on one of Michael's most memorable shows ever about dishwasher fish. And we also highlight one of Michael's favorite dishes, chipino. He raved about it. Even though after he introduced me to it, I was afraid to try it. It just sounded too daunting. Then on a business trip, years after Michael had passed, I was in San Francisco with a good friend of mine, an associate named Maury, and we happened to be at Fisherman's Wharf, and Maury suggested we dine at Skoma's, which is an icon of restaurants throughout the U.S. and famous for their seafood. Well, immediately I remembered Michael's reference to Skoma's at Fisherman's Wharf and how fabulous their chipino was. So, with great excitement, I started yelling at Maury and said, we've got to try the chipino. We went to Skoma's, I ordered a beautiful glass of white burgundy, then enjoyed one of the greatest meals I've ever had. It was wonderful. It was like I was sharing the memory with an old friend. Since then, I've experimented with and have successfully executed many Chipino meals with friends. Ironically, I once made Chipino with that same old friend, Maury, 
along with his wife and a handful of his old friends who were Iowa corn farmers. They'd never heard of Chipino, and one of the guys said, that was great. It's the first time I've ever enjoyed fish. If you ever want to try something fun and enjoyable, then take the leap and try Chipino, and don't skip on the saffron. There's really no such thing as foreign cuisine in this country. What with the influences of people who came from all over the world bringing their native cookery with them, everything which was foreign is now American. There are some dishes, however, thought to be foreign, which are not. Chapino, for instance, and I'll tell you about it. Chapino is one of California's most famous dishes, or it was when I was growing up. But it wasn't long ago that I was taken to a celebrated fish restaurant in a somewhat infamous New Jersey port. And given an elaborate build-up about the real Italian Chapino, best anywhere. And being the shameless chef, I permitted myself a sly and secretive smile and waited. Well, the Chapino was good. As good as any I ever had at a shore restaurant on Tomales Bay outside San Francisco. But Italian it ain't, except for the name and the style of the sauce. Chapino, I know you've been waiting, is just an informal stew of fresh seafood of all kinds, cooked with tomato sauce, onion, pepper, garlic, wine, etc. A classic Italian saucing, be it pizza or lasagna. It's the same basic sauce that goes in, for example, to chicken cacciatore. If you've never had Chapino, let me recommend it with alacrity. Take any fresh fish, including shellfish, and combine it with that basic Italian sauce, and not forgetting oregano and basil. Serve it in individual pots, big bowls, or any hearty and generous container. Provide your family and guests with lots of crusty garlic bread, uh, maybe a tossed salad, and either lots of napkins or a bib. It's about as hearty as you can get. The name once more is Chapino, C-I-O-P-P-I-N-O, and it isn't Italian at all. It was born on a boat, which later became a restaurant on Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco in the 1850s, it is said. It made it all the way to Hoboken, or nearly anywhere else. You want the recipe in detail, I'll send it to you if you drop me a line here at the station. It's a great, hearty main meal that not everybody serves. If you enjoy something new, uh, serve something that delights your guests, well, that's anything but shameless. Take it from the shameless chef, Michael A. Davenport. Ciao. This day and age when almost anything in the way of foodstuffs can be packaged and shipped almost anywhere, there are few delicacies that are denied us. This is The Shameless Chef. My name is Michael A. Davenport. I regret, however, ever being geographically parted from abalone. Do you know it? <laughs> I'll tell you. Abalone is a shellfish. It can be found in the waters off the coast of California and not much anywhere else. It may be because abalone is rare. Perhaps it's because the fish and game laws of California are very rigid and only a small amount may be brought in from the water, uh, perhaps too small to allow processing and shipping. It may be that, like the famous Olympia oysters, they are too delicate to stray further than 24 hours or a few miles from their native waters. Anyhow, I don't encounter abalone in my favorite fish market when I'm away from California. The eating part of the abalone, once the shell is removed, is about the size of a fist. Uh, like all shellfish of the clam, oyster, mussel family, it's uh, rather muscular and needs some careful treatment. So if you're lucky enough to encounter abalone, first tell me where and how. Uh, then you can cook it, and, and here's the way. 
You first trim it of that sort of foot on one side of the creature, and you slice it into small steaks. It's all white and not unlike a scallop, although considerably bigger. Now you pound it, a mallet or something heavy enough to have heft. The abalone steak will flatten out. Uh, don't overdo the pounding, or it will be reduced to pulp, which is uninteresting. Dredge it in flour, some beaten egg if you wish, and perhaps crumbs. Cook it very quickly in a heavy skillet in hot oil, as little as 30 seconds to a side. The classic California way to serve it is merely with butter, salt and pepper, and lemon juice, although I've had fine abalone in restaurants served with Bernays sauce. The flavor is remarkable, incomparable, and difficult to describe. Not fishy, just delicious. So if you encounter abalone in the market, jump at the chance to buy it. It's one of those marvelous rarities that give you a sense of adventure. That's A-B-A-L-O-N-E, abalone, and may your table be blessed with it. <laughs> Davenport here. <laughs> Happy abalone. Stay with us for more of The Shameless Chef after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. Welcome back to The Shameless Chef. This is The Shameless Chef. As such, I get the most surprising questions at parties, at work, on the street, anywhere, and usually I can answer them. I also get letters, and I answer them as well, either in the mail or like this on the air. And the question of the day is, what is Hangtown Fry? Answer coming up. The Hangtown Fry is probably the most famous oyster dish known. I don't know how it got its name, and no one else seems to either. I've heard all manner of tales about the origin of the dish, usually attached to a, a prisoner's request for his last meal. I do know there was a town in California once known as Hangtown, for whatever reason I can't fathom. The name was changed to protect the innocent, and today it's called Placerville. Uh, two, there's the story of a chap whose name was Nick Hangtown, who was a cook in the early California days. The dish seems to be named after him. You'll find Hangtown Fry on the menus of lots of California restaurants, particularly San Francisco. If you haven't had it, do. Here's how to make it. You start with canned oysters, if you wish, though naturally fresh ones are better. You dry them, dust them with flour, dip them in beaten whole egg that you season with pepper and salt, then roll the oysters in cracker crumbs. Uh, traditionalists like to use cornmeal. Uh, brown them on both sides in butter. E easy, not more than a minute on each side. Meanwhile, beat eggs lightly as though for scrambled eggs and pour them over the browned oysters. When the eggs set, you can turn the whole thing over and allow the concoction to brown, or you can put it under the broiler, although that does tend to overcook the eggs. You can get speedy if you want, like when the munchies overtake you, and just combine oysters with scrambled eggs. I like Hangtown fries served with fried onions and, and bacon, Canadian or otherwise. Uh, fried green peppers are also good. Allow four oysters and two eggs for each serving. Hangtown fry is great for a light supper, Sunday brunch, light lunch, and any time. Michael A. Davenport here, the shameless chef. If you happen to think that I am San Francisco-oriented when it comes to food, you're right. Salute.
all have kitchen appliances that do nothing more than gather dust on the counter. You know, the wedding gift syndrome. Then there are the kitchen appliances we use all the time, like the toaster, the mixer, the blender. Well, here's a mind blower. How about cooking in your dishwasher? I may be the shameless chef, but I'm not crazy. Not completely. You can cook in your dishwasher. For the time it takes for the cycle to run, your dishwasher is a little combination steamer, boiler, and oven. Ever thought about it? Let me prove it to you. Stop at your fish market and get some fillets of fresh fish. Perch, salmon, a snapper, pompano. I don't suggest sole. It's a little too fragile. Spread out the fillets on heavy-duty freezing or baking foil. Salt and pepper them. Fresh cracked pepper, please. For each piece of fish, add butter the size of a walnut, a couple of thin slices of lemon and onion, about a tablespoon of lemon juice. You might add some capers or black olive slices. Seal this all up airtight as though you were going to freeze it and put it in the top rack of your dishwasher and turn it on. Your normal dishwasher cycle is, oh, 30 to 45 minutes. In that time, your fish packet will have steamed and cooked in its own juices and flavorings. Take it out, unwrap the foil, and serve your newly discovered dishwasher fish. You don't think it'll work? I dare you to try it. It's so safe you can pull it the first time for guests and properly stun them. How's that again? Fish fillets wrapped in heavy-duty foil with butter, salt, pepper, lemon juice, and slices, thin onion. Let it run the full cycle. You can even put the dishes in at the same time so they come out warm for the evening. A lot of the frozen pouch foods in your market freezer can be cooked the same way. I'm Michael A. Davenport, the shameless chef. Oh, yes, don't add detergent. Please, subscribe to The Shameless Chef wherever you get your podcasts. The voice you heard throughout this episode was Michael Davenport, the host of The Shameless Chef, who unfortunately passed in 1985, but lived a truly vibrant life. The Shameless Chef is produced by Dylan Hoyer and me, Mike Schreiber, with podcast development and additional production by Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. The original theme song for The Shameless Chef was composed by Chip Davis. Armin Spengen composed the theme music for this podcast. The Shameless Chef is powered by Simplecast. The Shameless Chef is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.org.